All right, well, if you would, silence your cell phones, and if kids get fussy, uh, you can take them to the cafe or the nursery to attend to them, and again, that's just out of respect uh, for those around you. Today, we are privileged to have a guest speaker with us, uh, Joel Seymour, who is the uh, senior pastor and founding pastor of the Vineyard in Lancaster, Ohio, about 20 miles down State Route 158 from us. I guess you all didn't need me to tell you where Lancaster was, did you? Uh, (laughs) Sorry about that, just a tad bit condescending there. And uh, well, you know, when you, when you live in Outville, you may not know, know things like that. So, all right, it was all going so well until I picked on Outville. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're excited to have Joel with us today. Um, uh, leads a strong church in Lancaster. Uh, he is our uh, area leader, our area overseer of, I think it's around 10 to 12 churches uh, that he oversees kind of in the uh, southeast Columbus, you know, into southeastern Ohio. A few of them, I think, even stretch over into uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, so, I, in my own mind at least, think of Joel as our grand poobah of, of area vineyards. I think he kind of likes it. I, I mentioned in the first service, I saw a bit of a twinkle in his eye. I, I think he likes that title. Uh, so he's our grand poobah. He does a great job, and uh, we are very thankful uh, for him. He is also very involved in uh, church planting at the national level with the vineyard. Uh, He works with Multiply Vineyard, which is the church planting arm of the Association of Vineyard Churches to raise awareness and uh, get us moving in the direction of planting more churches in small town USA, which is something that we have talked about for a few years and of course is something that we're doing now. And um, uh, the Lancaster Vineyard, the Zanesville Vineyard, Pataskala Vineyard are partnering together to, uh, to plant the Perry County Vineyard. But I have to say uh, that the Lancaster uh, Vineyard has just been so incredibly supportive of that effort and just provided so much of the momentum that it feels like uh, we have there. In fact, at our first interest meeting back in January, I, I think it may be true that everybody that came to the interest meeting uh, came as a, uh, a contact of the Lancaster Vineyard. And so they have just been very instrumental in what we're doing there, uh, very supportive, and uh, we are thankful uh, for their involvement with that effort and their partnership uh, with that effort. In addition to all of that, he's just a really good man. I know he loves the Lord, uh, just a good guy. And so I'd like you to uh, open your hearts and receive what the Lord wants to share uh, with us through Joel's ministry. Why don't you welcome him as he comes? Well, good to be here. Um, I don't have to tell you all this, but uh, I'll say it anyway. You all just have uh, a great church, and you have great leaders. Don't you have great pastors here at the Pataskala Vineyard? Just good people. Um, Brian and Michelle and just uh, the kind of one-two punch of Brian's teaching and persona and then uh, just all his pastor's heart and Michelle being a great worship leader and then getting to know Ben over the last couple years. One of the fun things about being an area pastor is getting to meet different staff members and different people in different vineyards. So you all are blessed to have the leaders that you you have. So very good. Uh, And we've been very appreciative of, of you all. I mean, I was just impressed with with Brian and Pataskala just taking the lead on the Vineyard County thing, uh, Vineyard of Perry County. And uh, man, just awesome what y'all are doing, uh, pouring some 
resources and time, money and energy into that. And, and it's taken root in the amount of food that's being given away there and the relationships that are being built. And we're excited and we're excited that uh, Brian would uh, let us partner with him on it because he was doing all the work and out ahead of everything. So it was easy to partner with him. Uh, so, uh, and then I know Muskingum Valley Vineyard uh, in Zanesville felt the same way. So good stuff happening there. I do have some folks uh, with me, uh, my wife and son, Jesse, right here in the second row. They love being put on the spot. And uh, so uh, they're here. I think there's a vacation photo because I wasn't sure who all would make it. The, my other two kids, uh, Luke and Emmy, are in the uh, middle school and in your junior worship uh, programming. And I have a few other folks here. Courtney and Noah Price came up from Lancaster. And so there's Courtney and Noah's sneaking in the back. Uh, so, And I think the first service we had uh, Ben Chennels and a couple of his kids. Uh, the Chennels are, uh, I don't think they're here this service. I think they were just here the last service. They're, they live right in Junction City near New Lex, and so they're excited about a, a vineyard Perry County coming. They'd been driving 45 minutes to Lancaster uh, for years, uh, probably a decade or more. So they're excited about that happening. Jay and Amy Schumacher uh, came up, and their two girls, Bailey and Olivia, and I think Jay's in this service and uh, there he is, yep, back in the back. And uh, his girls are in the in the back in, in children's ministry. So have a few folks and thanking them that they came and, and just to support and pray for this church and check out another vineyard. So hope they don't stay. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, um, I'm going to do something uh, just a, a little different. I wasn't planning on doing this, but in, in between the services, I just felt like the Lord was, was speaking and, and uh, don't do this often, but just felt like especially don't do it often when I'm somebody else's church or, or something. But it's like the Lord wanted us to start with just some, some prayer. And um, particularly, uh, this may sound generic in general, but it just was hit me pretty hard during uh, in between the services. Uh, just some folks that you have just significant headaches right now. And uh, I know it may sound like a generic healing thing, but if you, if you have a headache, then it probably doesn't sound generic. You, you would want it healed. And so just anybody, you could just simply just raise your hand and say, yeah. So keep your hands up for a few seconds because we need others to, okay. If, if you're around those people, uh, would you just uh, just lay a hand on them or ask permission first probably? Um, but would you just lay a hand on them and just begin to pray for them? Because I feel like the Lord wants to do some healing right now. And uh, so come Holy Spirit. I just pray right now in the strong name of Jesus, you would begin to touch these folks that have significant headaches. If you have a hands on those folks, I'll give you a few seconds just to, just to pray for them and pray just simple prayers of be healed, headache, be gone. So much stress and anxiety, we pray in the name of Jesus that the supernatural peace of God would come right now. And that anxiety and stress and tension would, would go away. For some, it's, it's uh, maybe just a lack of rest, a lack of sleep. We pray for the power of Christ, supernatural rest. Jesus, you're called our Sabbath rest. Would you come and be these folks' uh, Sabbath rest right now? Come, Holy Spirit. Brothers, it's sinus and allergy-related. Come, relieve the allergies. Open up sinuses. Power of Christ come. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Have your way with us throughout this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 
Just interested, I mean, how many folks just, you, you had at least some level of relief, just in, just in folks praying for you, amen. Anybody else just have some, amen, 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 amen. See, the Lord's just working simply. We just need to, to be very uh, natural about that and supernatural. Uh, uh, Tim Barrett um, goes to your church. He, he used to be a principal of mine many years ago, and uh, he must have became principal when he was like 22 because he still looks pretty young. Um, but... Uh, uh, we were praying with a young lady and, and different issues, and but she, one of the things uh, she had uh, pain in her legs and and uh, feet, and so we just we began praying for her up here in between services, and and just began asking her if the pain was at a ten before, how would you rate it now? It was a four, and well, first thing she said, I, I sense numb numbing in my legs all of a sudden as we were praying. I said the Lord was just working through that, and well, let's just keep praying, okay, okay, and then prayed for a little longer. She said, man, I can really tell a difference. I said okay, well, if it was a ten, what is it now? She said, well, it's a four and well, let's just keep praying and we kept praying and you could just tell the spirit was on her and, and then and then it went to a one and and she said you know if I if I uh, if I take these heels off I think it'll be a zero and uh, <laughs> and I said I gotta be honest because when I was looking at the heels I told her this said I gotta be honest when I was looking at the heels I thought yeah no wonder your legs hurt but uh, yeah it's, praise God it takes care of legs that are in high heels, I guess. So uh, the Lord's working. It's good stuff, huh? God is good. Well, I want to share. I'm going to do a little bit of a different kind of teaching today in the sense that usually I would you know, have some kind of a question or some kind of a hook in the beginning, and then we would delve into a scripture and dig on that for a while and, and then have some application at the end. But when I was praying about coming here when Brian had invited me, what I had sensed is it just share a little bit about vineyard history. Now, there will be scripture in here, but it's going to be more thrown in and, and less just kind of dig in and, and look at it. So um, bear with me on that. Um, just to begin with the, just a couple stories, there's a, there's a story about when uh, the Pulitzer Prize author Alex Haley was doing a, a series of influential magazine interviews for several different magazines. Uh, he was interviewing Malcolm X, and it was like uh, the first real in-depth series of interviews with, the, um, with Malcolm X, uh, leader of kind of the black movement in, in the 60s. And uh, in the beginning, Malcolm X was quite testy with him, just pushing back on Alex every time. And Alex is, a, is an African-American uh, man too, and and uh, at one point he says, "I don't even know if I want want you interviewing me, Alex. You you don't even know who you are. How can you know where you're going if you don't know who you are?" And Alex kind of shot back, "So I know who I am. I'm Alex Haley." And da da da, da and started, you know, shared his education, his family life, and all that. And and Malcolm said, "Well, Haley isn't even really your last name. It was probably the name of of the slave owners a hundred years ago, and you know that's how you got that name. And that's why I have X as my last name because my given name of Little, I found out was." The, not even my real name. Somebody else gave it to me. It's not who I am. And it sent Alex on this journey to discover his roots. And if you're familiar with him, that's how he wrote the best-selling book and did the mini-series of Roots. And he found out that Haley was not his real name, that his great-great-great-great-grandfather was Kunta Kinte. And it was brought over here from uh, Africa. And there was a slave and, and that whole thing. But what stood out in that story to me was when uh, it was said, you know, you if you don't know who you are, you, don't, you won't know where you're going. And I think that happens often in church world, that we, we're part of a church, and either we don't know our own church's history, or we're part of a movement of churches or denomination, and in our case, the, we're all part of the Vineyard family, that's our tribe. Um, you know, there's, there's one owner and a lot of different franchises, and the franchise we're part of is the Vineyard. Uh, and so, 
we're a part of this, but we don't know our real history. And so uh, how can we know who we are, how, where we're going, if we don't know our history and, and our heritage? So I want to talk about that today. Imagine, if you will, that you, you get a sizable inheritance. Uh, you get a good size inheritance and uh, not enough to ruin your life. I mean, some inheritances could probably do that, uh, but enough that could pay off your student loans, uh, maybe pay off your mortgage. You've always had a dream career, so maybe it's uh, enough that you would uh, be able to plow it into this new career, start a business, you know, do something like that. Um, and so that's your inheritance that a relative left you. Now imagine not only did they leave you this money that was going to change your life, but they also left you their no because they were entrepreneurs and so uh, and they were successful business people that's why they could leave you the inheritance and so they leave like all the practical stuff management things how to hire and fire employees you know how to have a marketing plan and, and that would be great to have because it was going to help you in your dream career so you've got the money you've got these notes that say here's what you should do but they also left you notes on what you shouldn't do and all the mistakes that they made and they were very open and honest and so you have this journal of notes of, of what you shouldn't do and the mistakes that they made and you had all of this can you imagine having that kind of inheritance i mean having the money and then having all this information and to be able to start your dream career and business you imagine that some 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 of your you know i can see the bubbles above your head and and uh you're sick because you're thinking of which relative could die and and leave you that so (laughs) that'll be a different sermon someday um but no uh, just imagine that that you had that. Now I want you to imagine. Imagine you had all of that at your, at your fingertips. It's going to allow you to go further, faster in your career and in your life. You have all of that, and then you just decide to disregard it. Like, I don't want to do anything with it. I'm not going to use it. I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm going to make my own mistakes, be my own man, my own woman, and I'm not, I'm not going to look at the notes. I'm not going to use any of the money. And would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? I mean, you would be starting at where your relative started. You're going to have to do all the same mistakes, learn all the same things, and likely you're not going to get any further than them. In fact, you might not even get as far as they got in, in their career or in their business or whatever they were doing. Uh, you, you, their ceiling is going to be your ceiling. But if you would use what they give you, then their ceiling would be your floor. And then you could build off of that. You would be able to go further than they ever went with it. Well, all too often that happens in, in church world, that we, we disregard our inheritance of, of the Christian men and women who've went on before us, and in particular, not only just general Christian history, but in our own denomination, our own movement of churches, the vineyard, we forget like our heritage. There's a phrase in the vineyard, uh, and it's been around for probably 20 years, of take the best and go. But what often happens, the further away you get from kind of that first charismatic leader in that first charismatic moment, the further you get away from that, you, you forget the best and you just go. <laughs> you, know, you just go. You don't, you, don't take, you don't take the best with you. Well, I, this morning, I want to share with you a little bit about the inheritance and the heritage that you all have as part of a vineyard church and that we have as a vineyard movement. Um, part of that story is going to be personal stories that I had with one of the founders of the vineyard named John Wimber. And uh, just to share a little bit about John Wimber, John Wimber, uh, is, he went back, he said, and, and at least for four generations, uh, 
he was part of a fourth generation pagan family. Like nobody believed in Jesus. Nobody went to church. He said if they, if they were Christians, it was incognito. They kept it secret. They did a good job of hiding it because nobody in the family knew they were Christians. Uh, sometime at a young age, moved out west and near Anaheim in California, became a prolific musician, played 20 instruments uh, quite well. At age 15, started doing gigs and getting paid for it. And then in his 20s, uh, became a great uh, musician in the Las Vegas area. He was responsible for introducing uh, the Righteous Brothers uh, to one another um, and producing their first album. And if you're under, you know, 45 or 50, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but they were a hot group. If you've seen a rerun of Top Gun, you've heard their song. Uh, and it's not the one with the electric guitar. It's in the bar. Uh, but anyway... Uh, he had all this, but at the same time, he's reaching the pinnacle of all that, and yet addictions are plaguing his life. His marriage, his wife, was uh, Carol, was living back in Anaheim, and he would just go a week at a time to, uh, to Las Vegas and then drive home, and, and everything was just going to pot. His marriage was going to pot. Everything was going downhill, and some dear friends of his led him to Jesus. He becomes a Christian and uh, begins following the Lord in a Quaker church, uh, which kind of has the, uh, it was an evangelical church, but Quakers kind of have this model of just dialing down and waiting on the spirit to to speak which is you can see that's in our in our roots and where that came from uh he became just a, a man that led a lot of people to the lord thousands of people came to the lord through john and carol wimber just personally sharing i'm not talking about at meetings giving their life to god i'm talking about personal evangelism they just would share their story and funny thing is both of them would say they didn't have the gift of evangelism they they just their lives have been so changed they couldn't help but tell people and they said you know we often had to share the gospel 10 or more times with people. We didn't so much, you know, invite them into the kingdom. It was just we bugged them enough that eventually they said, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll take Jesus. He'll shut up. Uh, so um, that, that's kind of his own little testimony. Well, in the early 70s, he, he had went on and um, just a few years after becoming a Christian, he became one of the pastors because so many of the people at the church, he had led to the Lord and the church grew rapidly. He went on to... Um, he went on to eventually uh, uh, leave that church, pastor that church first, then leave that church. He left the church and he became the, uh, in 1970, I don't know, four or three, became the, the first leader of the Fuller Seminary um, Church Growth Institute. And he began to uh, study how churches would grow and what keeps them from growing and all this thing. Um, around that time, his wife, who was one of the elders at the Quaker Church, began a home Bible study and worship service. And for the first few, he wasn't even there because John was traveling so carol would just lead it and these these uh bible studies became more and more about just open-ended worship and the stories are is that their house their basement the staircases would just be full of people uh just worshiping they just couldn't get enough of just worshiping somebody sitting at the piano just playing and just worship and it was brand new it was in the in the late 70s at this point uh, well, John started coming after his travel schedule lightened up, and uh, it, it birthed a church uh, that eventually became a, a, a vineyard. And in 1982, it became uh, part of what was called the Vineyard Movement, and John took the leadership of, of five other churches plus that church, and they, they started a movement. The Anaheim Vineyard is what it eventually was called, and um, this, this church just began to grow uh, to you know, in the mid uh, mid eighties, it had grown to something like six thousand by I think like nineteen eighty seven. Uh, just starting off with a f- couple hundred in like nineteen seventy nine or nineteen eighty. 
In the early 80s, he coins this phrase, power evangelism. What John started noticing was, is in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, when people would come to know Jesus so often, it wasn't just proclaiming the gospel, but there was a demonstration of the power of Jesus. And he began to, to teach that, you know what, I'm not, he would say, I'm not against program evangelism or outreach or what we would even call servant evangelism. He was all for those things. But he said, I think we're, we're missing out on maybe the church's most powerful tool for sharing the gospel, and that's power evangelism. See, the power of God touched somebody's life, either through, through a healing or a deliverance or even just a, a prophetic word or, or some sense of the presence of the Lord, and then they would come to know Jesus. He, he taught, his church was mainly made up of teenagers and 20-somethings, so he taught them those things, and they went out around the hills of Anaheim and just shared with everybody, baptizing people in, in their swimming pools and those kind of things, and the church just grew rapidly. One of the things that made John so powerful was from those days at the Church Growth Institute, he understood the practicalities of church growth. Like, you got to have significant, or you got to have sufficient parking, you got to have good children's programming, you got to you know, have culturally relevant styles and be able to relate to people and those kind of things. But he also understood the power of God, and that became just a great one two punch. Well, I want to give you a flavor of, of John. I'm going to show a video, and it's a computerized kind of cartoon video, um, but it's John's voice. It's from one of John's teachings. But it'll give you a sense of his style, and it'll also share some, I think, core vineyard values. So let's go ahead and roll that. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, mm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few and cast out a few demons and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now that's pathetic. Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. 
And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book. And acting on it. it might as well be us we're qualified and we understand that it can be done that gives you a little taste of, of John's style I um, I got to meet John uh, and I'd, I'd heard of the vineyard a youth pastor of mine had showed me a John Wimber video in the mid 80s and then um, I'd read some books early in Bible college and then in 91 a professor and, and, a, and a youth pastor and another friend of mine we traveled out to California to take a class at Fuller Seminary it was a week long December term um, missions class called Healing and World Evangelism and we went a few days early and on the, my first experience of a vineyard is I went to this high school in Southern California it wasn't the vineyard John was at we just we decided to check out different vineyards so we get a, a feel for them and we walked into a high school probably similar to what you all have done in the past set up and tear down that whole thing and and uh, we walk in and and uh, you gotta remember this is 1991 so you know seeing people in shorts and flip-flops at a church service was new to us uh we, we dressed casual for it but uh you know it was amazing to see a whole church where people didn't have ties on and um uh, and then they had coffee, you know, and our churches didn't have coffee that I grew up in, and uh, just at potlucks. And so uh, it was amazing. And then the worship started. It was contemporary worship, and there was a brand new song that had just been written in 91, and, uh, and they sang it for like 20 minutes. And, and all I remember is the whole time crying my eyes out, like this which isn't pretty when I cry. You know, and, and, and it was the presence of the Lord. A song went, maybe you've heard it, it went, I can feel you flowing through me, Holy Spirit, come and fill me up, come and fill me up, love and mercy, fill my senses, I am thirsty for your presence, Lord, come and fill me up. Lord, let your mercy wash away all of my sins. Fill me completely with your love once again. I need you. I want you. I love your presence. I need you. I want you. I love your presence, Lord. I was undone. The presence of the God was thick at that high school in Arcadia, California. 
That was a Sunday. That night, we decided let's. We had we'd actually we had no idea that it was a giant church. We had no idea that John Wimber was kind of a Christian celebrity by that point. Several Christian magazines had kind of picked up on him, and um, he had published a best-selling uh, book through Harper Collins uh, called "Power Evangelism" in '86, I think it was, and. Uh, we didn't know that. We just thought he was another pastor like anybody else, and, and he was. So we just called out and said, hey, can we get an appointment with John Wimber? And the secretary said, well, he's coming back from a conference in Europe. I don't know. And he said, well, he could probably meet you after the Sunday night service. So we go to the Anaheim Vineyard. They're, they're moving into their new building, but it wasn't complete yet. So they were meeting on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights in a giant tent. The tent had like astroturf on this parking lot they'd put down, and these giant I-beams were bolted down into, this, uh, into the parking lot holding this tent up, and the tent could hold 3,000 people. It was gigantic. And so we go to the service, and then after the service, uh, we meet John Wimber and Carol Wimber and a guy named Ken Gullickson who'd planted some of the early vineyards, and they just toured us around the building, and we got to meet him, and I was just struck by how down-to-earth John was, and it was a part of the, our vineyard values is that, that we're not hyped up. There's no pretense. Uh, uh, everybody gets to play. Nobody's more important than somebody else. He had like frayed dockers on and a blue bowling shirt, and he got into like a rusted pickup truck when we were done, and it totally blew my mind because I knew some pastors from mega churches back in that era, and there wasn't a one of them that dressed anything that had anything frayed on it, and they didn't they didn't get into anything that was rusted. You know, it just like totally blew my mind. That week we went to Fuller and uh, it was on healing and world evangelism where they were studying movements of churches around the globe and the movements that were growing were the ones that believed God still spoke and delivered people from demons and healed people and, and, and they were growing at just great rates. But the, the, the churches and denominations that did not believe in that, they were just, they were going downhill quick and losing people. And so we were studying that. See, Peter Wagner taught a couple days, Charles Kraft taught a couple days, and then John Wimber taught for two days. The cool thing about the class is like from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., it was just pure class. I mean, statistics and everything you'd expect from a university course. But then at 4 o'clock, the professors would stop and they would say, okay, we're going to do this thing called clinic time, and we're just going to see if this stuff works. And that's what they did. They just stopped and started praying for people and trained us how to pray for people and John came in and he, and he said, he starts off, I remember his first day is after the 8, to 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. teaching. Uh, he said, we're going to do clinic time. He said, I was praying on the way over and I felt like the Lord said somebody had a deviated septum and, and we need to pray for that. And who is that? And a guy raises his hand and John says, I don't know if the rest of you can see this, but just turn around and look at that guy and you'll see kind of a shadow over the area of his face where this deviated septum is. And we look back, and sure enough, I, I, me and my friends, we could see that. And we're like, wow. I don't know if I physically saw it or in my mind's eye. I can't tell you. I just know I looked and saw there was something dark over his face. And he got prayer, and the darkness went away, and he could breathe. So it was cool. And then John said, I, I, on the way over also as I was praying, I sensed the Lord say that, that uh, he was going to heal like blindness or poor vision. And, and I think you, young lady, it's you. And I just remember thinking, this, this gal had like the biggest, thickest lenses I've ever seen in my life. And I thought, man, I've got that much discernment to know she needs prayer for her eyes. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's a word from the Lord or not. But so he invites her up. And I was on the, it was theater seating, and, and I was sitting on the second row, right where these two guys kind of are, and I was about this far away, and I was just leaning forward, like, nobody's going to pull anything over on me, you know, I'm going to make sure this is real stuff happening. And so she comes up, and uh, John just says, now everybody keep your eyes open, we're going to pray for her, and, and he said, uh, you know, um, 
So uh, just just wait on the Lord. So he waited, and several minutes just was quiet. That was one thing you had to know about John. He would not move in the spirit until he had a sense. I mean, and, and if he didn't have a sense, then there was no prayer time. It was just like, well, we'll see you at the next meeting. See ya. Um, and so he just looked, and he said, you know, I sense that your eyesight issues, you weren't born with that. It was actually through trauma or abuse. And the young lady began crying, except no tears came out. And she goes, yes, in fact... Uh, um, uh, she was from Japan. Most of the people in the class actually were Asians that had flown from Japan or from South Korea. Uh, there were very few Americans in there. And uh, uh, she said, yes, uh, in broken English, said, yes, I, I was, my grandfather beat me with a shovel head um, because I was a granddaughter and he wanted a grandson. And that, that's the abuse I went through. And so... Um, she stopped telling her story, and Wimber said, well, you all just watch, because the Lord's going to heal her. And that's how, just, <laughs> okay then. Uh, and so he waited on the Lord, and then he just, maybe over 20 seconds, 15 seconds, it wasn't a long thing. The, in fact, the silence was way longer than the words. And so he just finally said, uh, in the name of Jesus, eyes be healed, you know, see. And um, she had explained to us that the reason during the not only was her eyesight an issue, but the reason we didn't see tears coming down is her tear ducts had been damaged and she did not cry. Um, just couldn't, physically couldn't. In the middle of his prayer, and I'm, I'm sitting by where these two young guys are and I'm leaning in like, you know, in the middle of the prayer, her, her cheekbones just moved, reshaped. I mean, not like this stuff. I got extra stuff. She didn't have any extra stuff here. That could, you know, I, can, I can move that. But her bones like went, and it was amazing. And then all of a sudden, the tears came down. She took those thick lenses off and John had a guy in the back of the room hold up fingers and do all that and she could see perfectly. Well, I'm telling you at that point, I was in. <laughs> I can get in on this. And it was done in such a way that, um, you know, it was done in such a way that I knew I could do it. Like I couldn't do the stuff from the stage. I couldn't do the hyped up stuff. I couldn't, I, it just didn't resonate with my personality. But just simply talking and doing that, I could do it. I could do that. Wimber had no pretense. In fact, he, he, it was quite, there's quite a few humorous stories where, um, in fact, his, his first, he had done some tours in England, but there was a big conference in London. Thousands of people were going to be at this thing. Tons of evangelicals who did not believe the gift still existed um, were going to be there and see if this stuff was real. And they said at the first session, like things are kind of just happening. His teachings hitting. People are laughing. It's great. The people are into the stories. The faith and expectation level is just off the charts in the room. Everybody's ready to see what's going to happen and is there going to be a healing and how awesome would it be? And in the middle of all that, it's getting to the time for prayer ministry time. And Wimber says, You know, I think we ought to, you know, we're in England. We ought to just take a, a tea and biscuit break. And let's just take that. And sure enough, they shut the whole thing down. They took a break. And, and 15 minutes come back in. Well, everybody was kind of bumming, like, wow, there went that. I mean, we probably spooked the Holy Spirit. He's not going to come back. And, and um, they come back in after the break. And some of the most phenomenal miracles that happened during that conference happened right then. In fact, there's a book, I, can't even, I think it says When the Spirit Comes in Power, but it was a psychologist, John White was there to do an academic paper on what was happening and to research if the healings were verifiable. And, and his book is basically based on those sessions and, and the most dramatic healings happened after the tea and biscuit break, you know. 
uh, Charisma magazine in the mid-80s interviewed him and said, so like, how do you get ready for these big healing conferences like when you're getting ready to go on stage? What do you do right beforehand? And he goes, well, usually I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Um, it's usually what I'm doing. And, uh, and it like totally... Now, what he wasn't saying is that prayer and preparation wasn't important. He was following the Lord and had a great walk with the Lord, you know. But what he was saying is meeting shouldn't be any more special than just your everyday life. And so you're ministering out of overflow of just your walk with the Lord. And so you don't have to get more ready for a meeting. You just, that's just who you are. It just flows out of. And, and there wasn't this spiritual hype that needed, that needed to happen. He had a sense that everybody got the play, that everybody could participate. And after all that, like I said, I was hooked. So how did he do it? Like, like where did this come from? His, his style and these values, this heritage, this inheritance that we have. I, I want to just share real quickly just a few presuppositions that I think, or that I know, J- John had that allowed him to minister the way he did. Number one is, and I'll, I'll rapid fire uh, these for the sake of time and so that we have some time for, for prayer ministry. But he had the sense that the kingdom of God is here. And so I think we have a slide of that, of just the kingdom of God and the, and the comparisons of that. So for a, lot, a long time, theologians and, and even uh, Jews before Jesus' time, they had this concept that we live in this sinful, evil age characterized by sin, sickness, and disease, and death. And... And, and in Judaism, they would say in the Old Testament that there would be this thing called the day of the Lord, and then all that bad stuff would stop, and all the good stuff of the kingdom of God would start and would just go on for eternity into the age to come. There'd be health, wholeness, eternal life, right relationships, peace with God and with others, that whole thing, a new heaven and a new earth. Well, theologians in the 20th century began to look at it a little differently, particularly a guy named George Eldon Ladd in Fuller Seminary, and he began to see that, no, when you read the New Testament, when Jesus comes the first time, he brings the kingdom of, of God with him. He says things like, if I cast out demons by the, the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is already among you. It's already here. He would teach his disciples to pray, um, pray that what's happening on heaven starts happening on earth. Thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven you know uh, so expect that if there's whole bodies whole minds whole emotions whole relationships with with people and with 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 uh with god whatever's happening in heaven expect that it's already starting to break through onto the earth and, and that's what was happening in jesus's ministry uh all of it was a sign that heaven had started breaking in now we all know it's not yet fully here uh, we still have sin sickness and disease but in Jesus' worldview and the New Testament uh, followers of Christ's worldview, it, those things are still here, um, but yet the kingdom is here and we're, we're existing between the two until Jesus returns and then all that will be left is that top line of the age to come, the kingdom of God. So we're living between two ages. And so that just freed Wimber up uh, because he could, he could minister and just think, you know what? This stuff's supposed to be happening. Heaven's supposed to be breaking into the earth. It's what frees me up to minister. I don't have to, I don't know what backgrounds any of you have come from, but I, I don't have to run to some of the old stuff that people used to run to. So like if somebody doesn't get healed, I don't have to go, well, I didn't have enough faith or they didn't have enough faith or they must have secret sin in their life or, uh, I, I mean, I got a whole list of sins in my life. So yeah, I don't have to run to all those things. When somebody doesn't get healed, I go, wow, 
We're just living in this already and not yet. That there's a war going on. That there's still brokenness and fallenness here. And yet, I'm going to be, still be bold enough to be praying for healing because I should be expecting that heaven's already broken into earth. Do you get that? So it just frees you up. Frees you up. You don't have to worry about failing. You just do it and understand that we're living in between the ages. And it should propel us instead of just kind of slinking backwards in a default setting like, oh, well, it's a broken world. It should propel us to, no, we should be expecting to see more of this happening. And that's what, that's what fueled, I think, uh, Wimber. The early days of, of Wimber, he would talk tons about we proclaim the gospel and we demonstrate the gospel. Some vineyard verses that were big in those days, Luke four eighteen through 19, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was huge in the 80s and 90s for the vineyard to say, this is Jesus' like manifesto. This is how he starts his ministry in Luke 4, saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, that the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor is already here. Like you can trade blindness for sight, being captive for being free. The, the passage in Isaiah that he's quoting from goes on, you can trade ashes uh, for beauty, trade mourning for dancing, you know? And, and, and that's the age that we live in. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom kingdom and kingdom ministry with that speech right there and that was huge in vineyard and it was because he's saying i'm going to preach it i'm going to proclaim it but i'm also going to demonstrate it that that god's here god's on the move uh, all the um, summary verses in, uh, in Matthew were, were big in the vineyard in those days because the, the, those summary verses in Matthew say things like Jesus went all around the countryside preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease, casting out demons and proclaiming this good news to the poor. But it was this, this idea that Jesus is a word worker. He didn't just talk about it. He actually did it. We do that. I mean, we pray and, and see God heal people. And it's the reason we do things like food pantries too, right? Because we want to not only just say God is here, heaven is breaking into earth, but we give out food in essence saying here's an appetizer. In heaven there will not be hunger anymore, but here's an appetizer of it now. And so that, that's part of that value system of just demonstrating what we're proclaiming, you know, being word workers. So that was a definite deal with, with Wimber. Um, you know, even I think of, of in uh, Matthew 9, you remember the, that passage where, where Jesus looks out on a crowd and he says they're helpless and hapless. It says he has compassion. The word literally means his gut hurt. His, you know, in, in the Greek, it's like his bowels hurt. You know, it's like, Ugh. And, and he, he looks and he says, the, the harvest is ripe. These people, they're just ripe for the gospel and the good news. But we need workers. Pray for workers. And so he has this group of at least 72 disciples there. And they're, and they're all hanging around him. And I don't know how it works. But it says, you know, they pray. And I don't know, you know, he say, or he commanded them to pray. So they start praying, dear Lord, help send work. And then Jesus says, prayer answered. Because <laughs> like the next verse, he says, I'm going to send you all out as workers. And, and he gives them the same power to proclaim and to demonstrate. It's proclamation and demonstration. That was an early value of the vineyard and, and of Wimber uh, that we don't want to give up on. Probably the verse that, was, uh, that you heard all the time in the early days of the, of the vineyard movement was John five nineteen. Jesus was being questioned by uh, religious people on what authority he was healing people. 
And uh, he gave him this answer. He said, uh, John five nineteen. very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing for himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And so Wimber talked over and over again about just doing what you saw the father doing. What, what's God doing? Told a story one time about a guy that was on, a, on an airplane he was taking a flight with, and he said, I sit down in my seat and I look over and I saw the word adultery on the guy. Wimber tells this story. Uh, anybody ever heard that story? A couple of you. It's a phenomenal story. He sees the word adultery on the guy's forehead, and then he sees a name like Kimberly. And uh, he goes, hey. Uh, Wimber just leans over and goes, does the word name Kimberly mean anything to you? And uh, the guy freaks out. Like, and, and they were on kind of a jumbo flight that, you know, the old style planes where they had a little bar area. And so he goes, and, and, and if you're younger than 40, you a bar, I don't even get five peanuts anymore. You know? um, <laughs> but they used to have an area you could go to on the big jumbo airplanes. And so they go over there. And because and, Wimber said, I was just doing what I saw the father doing. I saw this name and I just, I just went with it to see what would happen. And here the guy says, are you a private investigator? <laughs> he goes, no. And he goes, and, and Wimber says, are, are you, you know, is, are you having an affair with this lady? He goes, yes. And the reason I got upset was my wife was sitting next to me. And um, he goes, what do I do? And he said, well, the Lord told me that the reason he's pointing this out is that if you don't correct this in your life, he's going to take you. He said, what do you mean take me? I mean take you, like you're done. And uh, he starts crying. He start, and he said, what do I do? And he says, you need to confess your sins and give your life to Jesus. The guy right there at the bar starts doing it. The bartender starts crying. Stewardess are crying, you know, and everything. And then he goes, after all that's over, he says, what do I do about my wife? And he goes, you've got to tell her. Goes, really? Yeah. So Wimber said, we go back to our seats. We sit down in the airplane. And this guy, he said, I can't hear because the airplane noise. But I can see this guy going, telling his wife. And she's like shocked. And then he goes over here and tells us. <laughs> At the end of it, the guy ends up leading his wife to Jesus. And Wimber said, the last time I saw him was at Chicago O'Hare Airport. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't go to a church. And he goes, I just gave him my Bible. Well, that's just doing what the Father's doing. Two verses before that, in John five seventeen, it says this. Jesus says, my Father is always at work. See, that's good news. I think sometimes when we read the verse, only do what the Father's doing, it's like, well, sometimes he's doing something, sometimes he's not. No, he's always at work. He's always doing something. In tragedy, I mean, he doesn't cause these things, but in tragedy, in sin, in times where you, you just feel numb, you're just tired, you, just, you don't feel like anything cool's happening in the spirit, whatever. That doesn't mean that God's not working. He's still working. Our job is, Wimber used to teach, is just ask the Lord, what are you doing? And wait. Don't hype it up. Just wait and see what he's doing. And go with that. You want to see your prayers answered? You want to see people get healed? Instead of just praying your best intentions, wait on the Father and see what His intentions are. And if you just pray what He's wanting done, it'll get answered every time. That's all you got to do. Just figure out what He's doing. But most of us, I don't know what it is, church world does it to us. We got to, dear Jesus, pray for them. They want it healed, so I'm going to pray right now. We heal. Yeah, no. Dial down. Wait. What are you doing, Father? Just wait and see what God's doing. And then pray that. Out of those kind of presuppositions came catchphrases in the vineyard like naturally supernatural. In other words, the spiritual gifts and the power of God ought to be done in ways that are very natural 
you know, naturally supernatural. This stuff you ought to be able to do in your grocery store, in your high school chemistry class, uh, in the cubicle at work, at the factory assembly line. It's to be natural with your neighbor, just natural. You know, just just pray for people like nonchalantly. Coworker says my back hurts. Okay, well. Can I, can I, this may sound hokey, but can I pray for you right now? Because I've seen God heal people before. Could we just do it? Yeah, that is a little hokey, but okay. Now, if you get a King James voice going, and you want me to pray for you right now because the dear Heavenly Father wants to do it, and da, da, da. if you get that rolling, the, you know, kind of the stage thing rolling, uh, that's not very natural. And chances are you're not going to do that at the grocery store. And if you do... Tell them you go to the Pataskala Vineyard, not the Lancaster Vineyard. I always keep business cards of other churches, you know. Because there's some strange rangers that come up to me at time. Where's your church at? I want to go to your church. Oh, it's uh, Lancaster Baptist. You want to go there? Um, I meet every Thursday with a group of pastors in Lancaster, and we laugh. We have a fantasy church member league, and we, we trade, you know. Like, <laughs> I'll give you this guy for this guy. I'll, you know. <laughs> Sorry. First service didn't get this. <laughs> You're lucky. Um, so naturally supernatural. This other deal, this other catchphrase came out was everybody gets to play. Now I understand not everybody gets to lead. That, that's a whole different discussion. But everybody gets to play. This stuff wasn't meant for the superstars. It was meant for fishermen and zealots and tax collectors and prostitutes. And you know everybody got to play in Jesus' world. When they surrendered to him, he just poured out his power to them and his presence. And then they got to use the gifts. So everybody gets to do this. It's one of the reasons why in Vineyard Values, like we'll, we'll start ministry time from the stage and give some words, but then, we, then it's, it's not the stage person praying for everybody, it's, it's everybody getting to pray for everybody, you know? The meat is on the street is another old Vineyard one, and it came because somebody came up to, to John Wimber and they brought their Bible up one Sunday in the 80s and said, we got to get to the meat, when are you going to preach the meat? You know, and that's Christian, if you're not used to that, that's Christian lingo for you know, I want to hear deep things of the Lord and blah, 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 and, and feel like we're really going deep and whatever, and I, I got to be fed. That's another one you hear in church world. And uh, Wimber just looked at him and said, man, the meat's on the street. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you want to be mature and you want to be deep, then go share this stuff with other people. You know, go pray for people on the streets. Share your faith in your neighborhood, you know. Pray for healing and deliverance with people, you know. And the meat's on the street. And, of course, power evangelism. Near the end of his life, Wimber had said this at one of his last conferences in 97, um, it's been reported that he said, power evangelism hasn't been so much tried and failed, it's that it hasn't really been tried yet. Like there was this window in Anaheim's history where it had been tried, but then the movement grew and, and Wimber's focus left the local church and was more on the movement and pastoring that and different seasons of the, of the movement. And he said, I always regretted that. Um, that we, we left the basics of just sharing our faith and then praying for the power of God to come and see what would happen. Amen. 
I started by saying that, you know, wouldn't it be great to have this kind of inheritance that could propel you further and faster? I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's exactly what we have. We have this, this, this kingdom of theology that allows us to, to, to think through and operate and to pray for these kind of things and with expectation. And then on the other hand, without judgment when, when something doesn't happen. Uh, we have this, this twin power of proclamation and demonstration. We have this whole naturally supernatural thing. We have this John 5.19 thing. We have all these good things that are happening. This is your kingdom inheritance. We don't have to start at the bottom anymore. Why? Well, because John and those early vineyard leaders built this foundation, and their ceiling can be our floor. Like, I'd just rather not tell 1987 airplane adultery stories anymore. What I want to tell is 2015 stories where somebody got that kind of a word and it happened. I'm telling you, it can happen. We just got to be open to it and say, Father, what are you doing in my work world? What are you doing here? What are you doing, you know? What are you doing right now? It'd be, it could just be simple. And it, it doesn't have to be, I don't want to scare you, it doesn't have to be as outlandish as, you know, see adultery. I don't think I've ever seen adultery in somebody's forehead. Um, but it can be as simple as, you know, I got my hair cut yesterday, what, what few are remaining. And uh, I, I got my hair cut and a lady started opening up about her daughter, teenage daughter having trouble and this, that, and the other. And I just launched in and started talking about Jesus and how Jesus can help. And that. It, just, it can be simple. It's natural. It's supernatural. It's as natural as the waitress complains about her leg hurt and you say, well, can I pray for you right now and just see what happens? That's the way this stuff's supposed to roll. It's supposed to be a part of our everyday life. Not hyped up, just natural, supernatural. The, the question isn't, do we have an inheritance? We have an inheritance. The question is, will vineyards like Lancaster Vineyard and Pataskala Vineyard and Perry County Vineyard, will, will we walk in this inheritance? Or will, we just, or will we disregard it and try it on our own? See what happens. I, for one, and I think you all do too, just from the responses I'm teaching, you want to walk in your inheritance. You don't want to snub your nose, not only at all the good stuff, but even all the mistakes that Wimber and the early vineyards made. We, we want to take all that knowledge and all that experience and take the best of it and go. Are you ready for that? Amen. Well, let's just see what the Lord has. Would you just stand right where you're at? And uh, let's just see what the Lord has for us. And I'm going to apologize. We went way over. I was looking at the clock and I was thinking at our church we started at 11. But we started at 1030, didn't we? (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm only a guest speaker, so uh, it's okay. Don't get mad at Brian. Uh, Let's just pray and see what the Lord has. Holy Spirit, come. this stuff into practice like uh, Father what are you doing
shirt over to my right, um, about third third row from the back. Um, you're still looking down. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, if, if you're new, I apologize. I'm just the guest speaker, so come back next week. Brian's a lot better. But um, I just felt like the, the Lord wants to bathe you in his Holy Spirit, and particularly a word one of our team gave earlier today was about how the Lord just kept saying, Father's heart, Father's heart. And I felt like the Lord wanted to pour out his Father's heart on you, and just to remind you again of how much he loves you and uh and you can draw strength whatever you go through in life you can draw strength from the father's heart the heavenly father's heart like he's a strong dad he's very compassionate and caring yes but he's like strong and and you can draw strength and i think the lord wants to pour that kind of strength into you right now so i just encourage you if you're around this young man in the back just uh just let maybe lay a hand on him would it be okay if people prayed for you would that be okay and so just some folks begin to pray for him right now and just pray for the father's heart a revelation of more of the father's heart in him just come more of you holy spirit right now Somebody in your right leg, you, you've pulled something or broke something, I'm not sure, and you have a pretty significant limp that, that, and pain in, the, in your right leg. Who, who is that? Who is that? Just raise your hand. I feel like the Lord wants, wants you to receive some prayer. I felt that uh, in between services and, and felt like it was a word for that. You, a couple of you? Raise your hand so we can see you. There you go. Would some folks gather around this lady right back there and uh, just pray? Simple prayer. Doesn't have to be anything long. Just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Spirit. It's not just a physical thing, ma'am. There's a spiritual thing the Lord wants to do with that too. And it's out of Jeremiah where where the Lord says to Jeremiah, if you grow weary running with men, how will you run with horses? And uh, it's this sense that the, not only does he want to touch you physically, he wants to empower you to run more spiritually too, and that uh, you're going to be able to run with horses. And uh, that's in a ministry context, some things that, that you didn't even know you could do, that he's going to empower you to do ministry-wise and give you strength to run in those ministries. Just keep praying for her on that. Have a word, Courtney. some words going just reminded me of some words that we had during first service of just those who just want filled up who are just hungry and, and I just encourage you to begin to come forward right now if you just are hungry uh, you want a new filling of the Holy Spirit um, you know the scriptures say be being filled and I think it's because we leak I know I leak the spirit I don't know how that works theologically but that's how it feels and so if you need a new filling of the Holy Spirit you're hungry I would just encourage you to begin to come forward and um I don't know your name, but would you would you be willing just to pray for some folks for new fillings? Would that be okay? Just simple prayers. Just be filled. Let's see what the Lord does. Any prayer team people or people who've been trained want to start praying? That would be great. Jesse, did you have a word at all? No?
somebody's got a, a, a job a transition. It's like a, um, and, and it's causing a ton of anxiety um, in your life. Some transition, and it may even require. It may be a decision that you're having to make, or it may have been a, a decision that was made for you. I'm not sure, but the job transition and just anxiety is is, is pretty heavy in your heart right now. Um, who is that? I feel like the Lord wants to give you some peace. Amen. Amen. Keep keep your hand up for a second. Anybody else? Amen. Back in the back. Amen. With some folks just gather around, there's a lady right here, uh, about three rows back on, on my right. If you guys would just pray for her and pray for peace, that would be great. And this guy back here in the blue shirt, some uh, guys just gathered around and and uh, just pray for peace and pray for wisdom. And those of you that are praying, if the Lord gives you some words, just, you know, do it naturally. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. Just say, well, I'm sensing the Lord might be saying this. Does that make sense? Come, Holy Spirit. couple people you're, you're feeling some warmth in your hands right now and uh, um, I think there's two two gifts the Lord is pouring out right now some of you are feeling some warmth in your hands and the Lord is beginning to release some gifts of, of healing uh, who, who, would, who would that be as you begin you're, you're sensing that right now as, as I'm praying you're just beginning to like a warmth or a tingling in your hands who is that don't worry I'll wait amen amen I think it would be good for you to, to get some prayer. Would you hold your hand up and have my wife come back and pray for Christy right there? Just pray for gifts of healing. I think the Lord is distributing that right now. And, and there's some folks that I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like a warmth or a desire in your mouth. Like you just want to talk. Like you just got to say something. I feel like the Lord's saying I'm pouring out some specific gifts of evangelism and gatherers. And, it and for some of you, you're not even extroverted people and you've always thought, well, evangelists must be extroverted. You're introverts. And it's not about personality type. The Lord is going to begin to put weight and power on your words so that as you're sharing your faith or God's stories or something that happened with a friend at church, it's going to have an evangelistic hook to it that's going to draw friends in. So who's just sensing that? Like there's, there's a warmth on your tongue or just a desire even to speak, like, like a almost like a nervousness, like i got to say something. I think the Lord's pouring out some gifts of evangelism. Who, who is that? Who is that right now? The Lord's, I think, going to use you as a gatherer for this church body and to be sharing your faith. So who is that? Come, Holy Spirit, begin to pour out. Anybody before I move on? I think we went way late. So. Um, of course, you guys are around here enough, you know that <clears throat> I, I, I don't do this stuff too much, um, but I felt very strongly that there are a number of people here today who as Joel has shared and as he's called for different things, you, what's going on in your mind is I've tried to press into these things before 
got disappointed. I just can't do it again. And God wants you to push past that right now. He, he wants you to do what, what I heard Wimber said one time is, uh, Joel, you can correct me if the story's wrong, but he prayed for a thousand people to get healed when he started his prayer ministry and nobody got healed. Now, friends, that'll create a crisis of faith right there. And he said he felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, are you going to determine what I can do by what you've seen so far in your own experience or by what you see in my word? I want you to trust what you see in my word. And so Wimber kept praying and started seeing things happen. And so I think there are a lot of us here today, at least a good number of us here, who you feel like you've been burned with these things before. You pressed in. You didn't see what you wanted. And God wants to say to you, press in again. Press in again. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep exercising your faith. And so if there's anyone like that, that that resonates with you, uh, I just encourage you to come up and receive some prayer or do business between yourself and, and God.